Right, because it requires you to be wearing a belt of giant strength and ogres of gauntlet power. You said ogres of gauntlet power. Gauntlets of ogre power, too. Mine in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 35 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing dwarves, one of the most iconic fantasy races. But first, the party picks a path in the Morning Glory campaign, and the Dwarven Defender stands his ground in the Character Creation Forge. Alright, before we get to that, we haven't talked about Unearthed Arcana in a little while. Like three months yeah since the beginning of 2016 so (laughs) we should probably catch up on that fine so what was january's unearthed arcana kits of old a porting over of kits from second edition which were kind of like backgrounds yeah they gave you some non-weapon proficiencies they traded out some restrictions for other restrictions right like maybe you had restricted weapons or restricted armor that you trade it out or whatever but there are also sort of entire class archetypes that were just wrapped up in a kit yeah so like the scald one of the iconic bard archetypes was a kit mm-hmm. or the blade singer the blade whole singer. blade singer yeah. was a kit yeah exactly and it seems like in this unearthed arcana they went in that latter direction where the kits that we've gotten are full subclasses yeah which is awesome i mean i think that's the right direction to go i think that's a rich area to mine for inspiration. Yeah, because when we get a new background, it's just sort of like, oh, neat. We could have made this up on our own. Right. That's what we usually do. Right. So there are two for the Bard. The College of Swords, which focuses on flashy sword play, and the College of Satire, which, well, if you don't know, you're an idiot. Nice. Stop, stop being sarcastic with me. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine for two more bard colleges, whatever. I think it's a more interesting indication of the direction that we can go, especially given the DMs Guild is a, a way to map old iconic D&D kits to 5th edition. Yeah, they put out a call for people to port over old modules, and I think this really helps figure out what they're thinking in terms of porting over other kinds of old material. Yeah, I definitely like this better than their first attempt at prestige classes. Mm, yeah, the rune something something. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, because I always loved rune magic, but it was just so ridiculously complicated yeah. and bad, also it, yeah, ineffective. It feels bolted on, whereas this feels like it will integrate nicely into what we already have in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. So what was February? Psionics. I liked what I saw, but it does seem more complicated than baseline 5th edition. Psionics is always more complicated than baseline <laughs> D&D. This is why I personally dislike Psionics and I don't understand them. I like Psionics. I just don't think they ever need to be nearly as complicated as they are. Well, fair enough. I skimmed it. You know, I yeah. like I usually skim Psionics rules. I don't bother learning them until I absolutely have to. But uh, from what I saw, it looks like Psionics. <laughs> you know yeah it is an update to the earlier version of the mystic which previously got a five level treatment and now is available in 10 level flavor 
We haven't dug into the details of psionics yet because it hasn't come up for us. So let's just move on and not make a fool of ourselves. Well, honestly, I think they're going to change it so much anyway. If you are invested in psionics, then obviously take a look at it. Give them some feedback. Doesn't mean they'll necessarily take it. Right. So March then was marketing for the DMs Guild. <laughs> Maybe they're spending all their time really getting psionics into nice shape. And so they just aggregated some DMs Guild content for March. <laughs> I think they were writing on Earth Arcana for Unearthed Arcana, right? So this saves them the trouble of having to generate new content that just <laughs> link you to some pay-what-you-wants on DMs Guild. But hey, congratulations to the people who made it into the aggregated Unearthed Arcana article. So this is one of the problems with pay-what-you-want on DMs Guild is if you pay zero to download it and check it out, you can't go back and then tip them or pay them for it afterwards. So whatever you pay up front is all you'll ever pay for it. And there's no preview. So it seems unfair for us to go and try and review this. And if it's great quality content that we want to use, we should pay them for it, right? Yeah, so you're sort of stuck in a position where always pay zero. And then if you like something, go get something else and pay double. Yeah, or something. Or something, yeah. yeah. Just download it again. Yeah, it's it gets complicated. Make two accounts, one for all your free, <laughs> your free pay what you want, and one to actually you know properly compensate content creators of course that still screws up the numbers on the back end for these content creators who are trying to figure out how much people actually want to pay yeah, yeah. so here's our tip for dms guild and drive through rpg let us go back and pay more for stuff after we download it that would be nice i'm asking to give more money what is wrong with me <laughs> uh so much more was wrong with me in morning glory though so let's let's switch gears and talk about that campaign well, the party had decided that the best way to get out of this trapped dimensional pocket was to walk directly into the plane of Dolor, the realm of the dead. Oh yeah, that'll go well. So the other option was walking directly into Maybar, the realm of undeath and negative energy, which you knew you wouldn't be able to, uh, you wouldn't be able to heal while you were there. So you said, mm, "We'll take the potential despair effects of Dolor instead." Yeah, I'd rather be sad than dead. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit in the travel episode. This was essentially a long journey on foot for you guys. A very Tolkien-esque walk, if you will. And lots of despair, sadness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had created nine small encounters or scenes, sometimes even just, just, just like a simple vignette that I had put in a table and then sort of rolled randomly, depending on how good your survival checks were to... You know, you had a direction that you wanted to go in, but of course it's sort of gray in every direction. It's very easy to lose your way. So if you, you know, performed well in figuring out where you were trying to go, then you advanced on the line, so to speak, toward, you know, the ultimate destination. And if you got then turned around after that, you sort of advanced backwards. But I didn't necessarily know, I didn't plan out ahead of time what was over the next hill that was just sort of rolled randomly so you know in one scene there was a graveyard and there were some ghosts and creepy crawly hands like severed hands that are walking around and as long as you didn't really bother anything or disturb anything or stay there for too long they didn't worry about you and then there was the nightmare stampede where in the distance you heard what sounded like thunder and then you saw flashes of fire and then thousands of nightmares like flaming, flaming black horses, horses. yeah <laughs> came through the sky and you had to make 
dexterity checks to jump out of the way and not get trampled. Uh, a safe tower where you can actually rest. And then, of course, the thing that the angels warned you about, the corpse collector. Charming. The corpse collector is, I think, maybe it was first introduced in Eberron as something that was sort of used in the last war. This one, the angels tell you, is like much bigger. It's sort of like a, a force of the plane itself. It's a large golem that walks around and has huge spikes all over its body and it picks corpses up off battlefields and out of graveyards and then sort of sticks creatures to its spikes and then like continues on slowly gathering dead bodies and becoming more macabre as it moves along. Yeah, that's that's the mental image you really want to bring home. Yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> Especially after almost getting mufasa by nightmares. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> So you actually made your way pretty well. It became increasingly more difficult to care about things as the days went along. I used a sort of reverse inspiration mechanic where when you fail a saving throw at the beginning of each day, with, with an increasing DC each day you were there, I got a d20 that I got to use to give you disadvantage on something, like a, a d20 roll. Right. Which I usually used when you guys succeeded very well. But you kept moving toward a direction where that you felt wasn't completely Dolor. You're looking for what are in Eberron are called manifest zones, where more than one plane sort of overlaps. So since you were just looking for a way out of Dolor, you were looking for anything that didn't necessarily feel exactly like Dolor. And so you kept pushing forward, things got colder and, and darker, and eventually it actually became a little bit difficult to breathe, uh, except for the Warforged, because he didn't care. Yeah, he doesn't breathe. It was cold, and you started to take both cold damage and, and bludgeoning damage, almost like you were... You know, being crushed at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> That's right. But you had a choice and you continued on through uh, after narrowly avoiding the corpse collector. You did a lot of running, which was wise. I, th I think I telegraphed well enough. Don't engage the corpse collector. And you guys didn't. Yeah, that, that was a tense moment. There was a distraction and then you ran around a hill and sort of saw the, the top of it and saw that it was several hundred feet tall. But yes, you, you continued on and, and then it got colder uh, you felt like you were getting crushed, almost squeezed through some sort of portal, and then suddenly everything was wet and then brighter, and you burst out of the top of a very dark lake surrounded by jungles with the tropical sun high overhead and the shadow of a dragon flies over. Well, we knew where we were at that point. <laughs> Though we hoped it wasn't true. <laughs> Before we move on, I, I want to go back to the way that you did the encounter montage, mm -hmm. walking through Dolor, because I think that was that works really well for making travel more interesting, right? And I, I know we did an episode on this, but it gives you that sort of episodic Wild West kind of feel, right? Where if you wander long enough, something interesting will happen. Mm -hmm. and And it's those sort of vignettes, right, that populate the environment and then sort of give you insight into like what it's like in between right, right? that graveyard stands for all graveyards mm -hmm. if you will yeah and one thing i sort of like about randomly determining what is over for example the next hill is that i'm not inadvertently telegraphing like which way you're supposed to go right it's almost like when i play trivia pursuit i don't read the answer when someone else is guessing because I don't want to accidentally give them the answer. And I mean, I just like the element of randomness at times. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Like we don't procedurally generate dungeons. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice to just take it a little bit out of your hands as a DM. Uh, I will say that once a location was generated, then then it became concrete. Like if you moved 
forward and then got turned around and came back, it would still be the same thing. Right, right. To give to give continuity. Yeah. All right. So moving on to our main topic, <laughs> our Scottish friends, the dwarves. That's racist. <laughs> Uh, that's They're obviously Tolkien, Vikings because Tolkien was a racist. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is also true. So, so we did an earlier episode about playing non-human characters. Yes, but we got a really good response from it, and it seems like there, a lot of you are interested in hearing about non-human races in much more specificity. So this is our first installment of a series where we're talking exclusively about one particular non-human race. Right, and we approach it from, as usual, both the mechanical and the practical, Mm -hmm. right? So what does this mean for your character sheet, and then what does this mean for your character? Right, so for any of you dwarves out there, we're not being racist. We're just talking about tropes and stereotypes. Right, right. Yeah, we we respect dwarves. We have dwarven friends. Yeah, many, many. The dwarves love me. Right. (laughs) I hire many dwarves. I used to date a dwarf. (laughs) Her beard was amazing. (laughs) She was your beard. <laughs> okay, but so for each of these things that we're talking about in terms of dwarves or, you know, any races we cover in the future, what you basically need to determine is are you typical for the race or are you not? It's fine if you're, for example, a dwarf who loves architecture and gems, but you don't have to be. Maybe you're not, but you exist in a world where most people expect that of you or it's it's likely that you do and so if you don't there's probably a reason for that and that can become part of your story so keep that in mind yeah yeah and again we talked about as you're doing that to sort of define it as unlike most dwarves mm-hmm. right so that you're you're calling the familiar and then changing it right? right and you can do this for each particular trait sure yeah but don't be unique in every regard. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. you're not a dwarf, right? <laughs> you just for some reason look like a dwarf. Yeah, if you're tall and dexterous and have long flowing <laughs> hair and you like the woods more than you like, and you know you don't carry hammers and axes, you carry bows, uh, you're an elf, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're, yeah, I hate to tell you, you you're go not a dwarf. <laughs> talk to your parents. So let's talk about dwarves. Let's talk about real dwarves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. from a physiological standpoint, mm-hmm. right? What, what are dwarves like? Right, so this is what, all dwarves have actually in common right they're they're short relatively right between three and a half to five feet tall yeah they're stout yeah they're they're, they're also wide often as wide as they are tall (laughs) (laughs) so we'll breeze through a bit of this because we talked about some of these things in the earlier episode but when you are short and when everyone in your family and your society is short how does that affect the way that you see the world you literally have a different perspective on things yeah they also have high constitution right Mm -hmm. regardless of which one you choose you're gonna have more con than other races right you're tough you're if you have non-dwarven friends you're more than likely tougher than them yeah and feeding into that is the iron stomach Mm -hmm. right the um, resistance or immunity to poison the joke of dwarves is that they're always, you know, making ale, right? And the, the dwarves are always drinking. Well, because it doesn't affect them, right? Right? They're immune to it. It takes more time. Oh, we'll talk about that when we come to the acts of the dwarvish lords. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> also, being short and stout means they're sure-footed. It's difficult to move a dwarf. Lower center of gravity. Mm-hmm. What's it like when your entire life people don't push you out of the way because they can't? Right. Right. Yeah. It it tends to manifest itself in personality. Dwarves are stubborn. Why? Probably because they just have, they don't know what it's like to be moved. Right. And then feeding into that, 
or, or sort of driving some of that behavior is their general tendency to live underground. Mm-hmm. That's sort of iconic is the dwarves of the mountains or hills. They're these large societies that exist within caverns and mines. Of course you're short. It's easier to build a short tunnel than a tall tunnel. Likewise, they get dark vision. So they can see in these low light environments without a problem. Remember, dark vision is black and white. So it makes sense to me that dwarves can discern very small differences between like tan and brown and darker shades of like a mottled green and different shades of black. But all blues are the same. All like bright greens are the same. Yellow, is that even a color? Right, right. And of course, they're slower than most. They're slower than halflings. (laughs) They've got big stumpy legs to Mm -hmm. flop about, I guess. (laughs) Um, over the line, Shane. Over the line. <laughs> but it's very chicken in that, right? Are, are, dwarves, are dwarves shaped like this because they live underground, or are they underground because they're shaped like this? Right, right. So D&D 5e gives us three main dwarven archetypes, sub-races. Mm-hmm. You've got the hill dwarf, which gives you a bonus to wisdom, presumably wisdom because they were smart enough to stay close to the surface. <laughs> <laughs> And from here, you tend to draw your dwarven clerics, who are very influential in society. Right. You have your mountain dwarves. These are your typical token dwarves. Mm -hmm. They have a bonus to strength. Right. Right. These are your kind of more martial, especially as we'll get into from a cultural standpoint, right? The races that they run into that also dwell within mountains Mm -hmm. sometimes need to be beaten back. (laughs) (laughs) Keep in mind, so you get plus two to con. The mountain dwarves get plus two to strength. You're as strong as a Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> they're the Dwergar, the deep dwarves. I mean, honestly, they're they're kind of really too different to talk about in one episode because their culture is, is so different. It's almost like talking about drow in the same episode that you talk about elves. Yeah. So we're going to skip them. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about dwarven culture. In general, dwarves, their, their alignment is lawful. That's a really defining characteristic of dwarven culture and dwarven society. Yeah, because of their clan ties, right? Mm -hmm. Their family structure is built around the clan and honor for the clan. You are naturally kind of, as a dwarf, a cog in the wheel. And most dwarves like it that way, or or at least feel much more comfortable when they know their role, they know what they're supposed to be doing, and they're doing it. Right. I think that's one of the tropes of dwarves who are adventurers, is Mm. they're always homesick. They want to do what they need to for their clan, right? They're loyal to that mission, but... Mm -hmm. They would always rather be back home under the mountain. Right. Right. And if they haven't been sent out on a mission, then there's probably some horrible event or disgrace right. that has caused them to be thrown out. But still, they would probably rather not be here. Exactly. And dwarves don't live as long as elves, but they live a very long time. In most editions of the game and most fantasy settings, between 250 and 350 years. You're talking three to six times the lifespan of a regular human Mm -hmm. how does that affect your outlook and the pace at which you believe life should really occur i guess it leaves you plenty of time for drinking (laughs) (laughs) and for getting very good at one particular task joking aside right ale making stone cunning and Mm -hmm. forgery uh, sorry, not forgery, <laughs> forging, right? Uh, armor smithing and blacksmithing are, mm-hmm. are kind of the, the dwarven art form. Right. Those are sort of what they pour their culture into. Yeah, the reason that 
dwarven made armor is so much better than that made by humans is because that dwarf has been doing it for 200 years exactly and has been a master for 80 of those right and probably spent a long time making it Mm -hmm. you know a human is trying to hammer it out as quickly as possible i gotta get this done before the war's over exactly (laughs) A, a dwarf is making armor as an art form he's got a year to make his set of armor right right? and of course you know the war is gonna last exactly (laughs) actually that's a really good point going back to lifespan right when you live that long your grudges are that much deeper Mm. right that slight from 150 years ago is still fresh Uh, yeah it's still Mm. burning it's the thing right (laughs) it it might not be fresh but you you've got a long time to dwell on it Mm -hmm. right in your cold cave (laughs) deep below the earth that's interesting because I don't think of dwarves as being particularly cold. That's because they have all those fires. They're burning orcs. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We could go with that. But the, you know, I mean, the hearth is also kind of central to dwarven culture, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to heat up liquids to make ales. You need to use fire to forge weapons and armor, right? So it, it's a very central component for them. Right, and dwarven cities aren't so far down that they start getting geothermal energy, right. usually. You know, they're just far enough away from the sun that it, you need another way to, to heat things. You need another source of light for fine working. Right. And then, of course, when you spend your time forging, usually you spend your time swinging that stuff, too. <laughs> so whether it's a hammer or it's an axe and armor, you're either working on that mine building their elaborate cities of stone or you're fighting off things that go bump in the night right in 5e and most versions of DD, dwarves get weapon training automatic proficiencies in particular weapons if you're a fighter if you're not using those dwarven weapons what's the reason for that right you know you grew up using these if if you're a wizard you still know how to use them right in combat you use your magic and and your brain instead but When it comes down to it, if you run out of spells and your option is that crossbow or like grab the battle axe, wade into melee and start chopping off heads, what are you going to do? And remember, weapon training comes with years of work. So while you might not be as strong or as specialized as a fighter, even as a dwarven wizard, you're capable of wielding that. And there's probably a point of pride around that, right? Right. Kind of the way that in the modern day, you know, Marines pride themselves that every Marine shoots, Mm. right? A pilot still can shoot dwarves are the same way right they all wield an axe or a hammer they're all capable warriors because they've all been trained right before you came to the like wizard school you learned how to use the battle axe right right and none of these other wizards know how to use it you sure as hell do exactly and think of it from a culture that lives in corridors and small spaces right Mm -hmm. an axe just makes a lot more sense than a bulky sword right you know an axe is is a very up close sort of weapon a hammer is natural because you use hammers to forge things Mm -hmm. use hammers for stonework you use it uh you know picks and those sorts of things to build tunnels so they've made a culture of fighting around the things that they use in a daily basis and of course one of the central focuses of dwarven culture is religion in most D&D fantasy settings, the dwarves worship Moradin. Almost every dwarf owes the vast majority of their fealty to Moradin. Correct. Now, there are other sort of, I think, usually minor dwarven deities who serve Moradin. Right, right. right. The sort of the dwarves who have ascended, Mm -hmm. right? And that's actually, if you're not a typical dwarf, that's a great place to start. 
for whatever reason that you've left dwarven society think about what that means for your belief in moradin mm-hmm. right do you blame moradin and have you turned to another deity or Ooh. is that maybe the reason you were cast out Right. Even dwarves who disagree or from like wholly different clans or maybe even are fighting wars with each other, they revere Morden. Right. So that's an issue. What do the clerics think about this war? Well, uh, that's that's sort of core to, again, that forge culture of mm-hmm. dwarves, right, it is the battle hardened, right? Mm-hmm. So the weak metal will bend, right? right. <laughs> the weaker clan will eventually will break. So right? maybe Morden sends these clans together to forge the entire race into something stronger stronger exactly mm-hmm. you had mentioned this one th- like you and jim had both mentioned this to me when we first were thinking about playing uh in 40k was that the humans the imperium they're not really humans they're dwarves uh yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you if you map warhammer 40k to your typical fantasy racial tropes mm-hmm. you know the eldar are clearly elves they share a syllable a lot of people think of the humans, the Imperium, as humans. But in reality, they have a very strict regimented culture. Mm-hmm. They exist for the purpose of war, right? Mm-hmm. All of their culture is focused on hardening society to fight its enemies better. Right. Their technology is the same as it has always been for thousands of years. Right. They follow the same traditions, and they all worship one god. Right. And there is no social advancement, <laughs> no technological advancement, no magical advancement. They believe in doing things because that's the way they have been done. Right. (laughs) And that's the way they were prescribed to be done by that deity, by the emperor. We're not looking to improve things. What makes us feel good is doing things the way they're supposed to be done. Exactly. And in 40K, the reason for that is because chaos will eat your soul. (laughs) It's good to be a dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) I find that to be an interesting plot point that can be brought into D&D but doesn't usually is that the dwarves live underground and horrible often aberrant things live in the underdarks of most settings yeah and often the dwarves are kind of the first line of defense for the surface world against terrible things from beneath the earth yeah and that's one a good parallel for 40k and and two probably an underexplored fantasy Mm. storyline right is is what happens if the dwarves either fail and are forced to retreat or lock themselves into their citadels and (laughs) and no longer really wage that war or if some of the dwarves turn and sort of become corrupted by mind flayers and other aberrant creatures so when you're determining your backstory one thing that every dwarf should know is their clan their name the clan's history honestly if you grew up around any dwarves you should probably your character should have their clan's history back probably a several dozen generations memorized yeah even if you're not even if you've been disgraced or kicked out of your clan or whatever right you would still know that sort of thing yeah right? exactly it, it might be varying degrees of importance to you mm-hmm. given your sort of life situation right but if you're a loyal member of the dwarves right a valued member of dwarven society mm-hmm. your clan is paramount and as is its reputation among other dwarves and outside dwarven society, but mainly inside dwarven society. Yeah, it's interesting because in some settings, like or when I homebrew settings, right, I like to think of the dwarves as sending emissaries out mm. and not being clan tied, right? So you might have a clan that actually serve as those sort of merchants, right? Mm-hmm. The emissaries to the surface so that the other clans don't have to, right? <laughs> they, they bear that burden. That's their honor, ah. right? <laughs> the- Right. If you're a dwarf, 
<laughs> honor and burden are the same thing. Right. Well, true, true. Yeah. So it's like, it's basically dwarven clerics <laughs> and the members of the clan that goes to the surface, right? Right. But your clan is also your connection to a, how you fit into a hierarchy mm-hmm. and your literal family unit, mm-hmm. right? So your actual genetic family is also tied to your clan. Right. What is their standing within the clan is the reason that you left that there was just no way for you to advance. And so now you're wandering the surface with like an elf and a tiefling. Right. Is that a disgrace to your family? It could be depending on why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then as with all of the medieval family tie kind of settings, the clannish nature of dwarves gives you that power brokering (laughs) through romance or or at least (laughs) through marriage. Uh Right. I think of all the PHB races in 5e, dwarves and elves are by far the most likely to have an arranged marriage. Right. From probably before birth. Yeah, potentially. Mm-hmm. And, well, what what is that partner doing? Right. <laughs> are they upset that you're gone? You know, it depends, uh, all, as always, why, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that's the reason you left. You're just a little too free-spirited. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like girls with beards. <laughs> I only like girls with beards, and she couldn't grow one. Oh, right, poor just, girl. It's it's a family trait. She could have been a lovely dwarf. <laughs> she should get a belt of dwarven kind. Yeah, <laughs> I love her half the days. <laughs> right. So, how do dwarves interact outside of dwarven culture? Well, again, we're talking about tropes, but a dwarf interacts with other. PCs, depending on their relationship with the clan and their family, the reasons that they left, are they out to look for more friends or a way of life that is different from the Dwarven lands? Or are they begrudgingly out here adventuring on a mission and they just have to put up with these people who aren't dwarves? Right. I think one of the other tropes for dwarves is the idea of the surly surface dwarf Mm. who sort of shares that loyalty, right? There's that that band of brothers kind of element, you know, uh, battle forged again, sort of being a foundation of dwarven culture that the people you fight with are the people you're most loyal to. Mm-hmm. So they're loyal to their companions, but they don't really want to be there. Right. right. And they also kind of think of themselves as better. <laughs> Cause I mean, I'm a dwarf. I, I mean, here, here, if you think you're better than me, let's have a drinking contest. <laughs> yeah. I think a dwarven PC, they do what is either right or what they feel that they are supposed to be doing, not necessarily what they want to be doing. Right. So even if they don't actually like the other PCs, if you've been fighting together and you are on a common mission, they're going to do everything they can to further that mission, keep you safe. They may not be nice to you or laugh at your jokes. Right, right. (laughs) This is a good time to play on the height difference, right? (laughs) You know, I like the idea of that rivalry, you know, the dwarf and elf rivalry kind of thing, right? Where you refer to people by their most negative traits right? <laughs> or their, their biggest cliches, right? Smooth face, <laughs> you know, hey, tall guy, that kind of thing. Like it just gives you kind of that fun little element. And then, of course, other people will refer to you uh, by your beard or mm-hmm. by your height, right? Or your smell. Possibly. <laughs> so we do need to mention that canonically and historically dwarves do have racial enmity toward other races and monstrous humanoids that they have had to fight for territory with. Yeah, this is different than the friendly rivalry of the dwarves and elves, right? (laughs) Where they see the world different. This is fighting for territory, right? Fighting for life. 
goblins, orcs, sometimes kobolds. In previous editions, dwarves had actual mechanical bonuses versus these kinds of races. It's not in 5e, but it certainly still exists within the lore. Yeah. Anything that they would run into underground in your setting, anything mm-hmm. that seeks to dwell in the same caverns and you know, settings that they do, same ecologies that they do, would be a rival. So, of course, this affects the way that a dwarven PC would view a goblin or an orc PC, but that's usually something that gets handled pretty quickly because you don't want that kind of strife at the table. Yeah. But oftentimes you're adventuring and fighting these kinds of creatures. What does a dwarf think about that? Are they like, ah, yes, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? I was born to do... This is my glorious purpose. <laughs> that's right, to kill orcs. That's, that's what I do. Did they feel like Gimli did that I should kill the most orcs? Right. You know? <laughs> and if anyone kills more orcs than me, that's a problem. Right. And then you get to giants. Oh. Which are my favorite of the dwarven rivalries <laughs> because it just plays that height thing right. so well, right? It's you are very tall. I will bring you down to my level. Dwarven giant killers are amazing. I love that dwarves approach their rivalry with giants the same way they approach it with orcs. I'm going to kill all of you. Right. Except that the giants are way harder to kill. Yeah. (laughs) But it's often very useful to go hunt down those giants, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How about authority? Right. We talked about how they're lawful. Mm Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean they have a respect for non-dwarven authority. Exactly. Right. Right. If you're dealing with an elven king, maybe the dwarf actually refuses to recognize that authority. Right. Even more so than like a human. Right. Or honor customs that seem irrelevant or frivolous. Right. Right. And that's, uh, I think, another part of the elf and dwarf dissonance is dwarves view elves as impractical and aloof mm-hmm. whereas they're very firm and resolute yeah right? the dwarf is the one who at the state dinner drinks the lavender scented like hand washing water oh yeah <laughs> well i mean there's probably a little bit of alcohol in there so it dries faster right? yeah exactly <laughs> don't want to let that go to waste <laughs> how do dwarves feel about nature is there really a trope around this there's definitely a trope order of the stick Durkon always thinks they're being attacked by trees. Oh, that's true. Gimli was afraid of the forest. See, I didn't read that book. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense for dwarves who spend all their lives underground to have that agoraphobia, Mm -hmm. right? And then certainly anything that towers over you in that way would be frightening. Right, the wide open sky. Right. And there's no mechanical difference there, right? But it's totally a role play thing, right? You attribute bad things that happen to the curse of the trees right? <laughs> <laughs> i also think uh, we t- talked a little bit about this with aarakocra previously but dwarves rarely get to see the stars or the night sky so a dwarven astronomer or like a dwarf who observes the heavens for a prophetic insight is probably a little bit off their rocker yeah and i really like that archetype because it's so tied to mountains Right. Mm-hmm. If you think of, of where you put an observatory, you don't put it on a plane on right. a, on a, at sea level, right? You put it as high and as close to the sky as you can. Mm-hmm. So it's still natural for a dwarf to be in that position, maybe aided by gnomes or something like that. But yeah, I mean, that would be a weird dwarf, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you spend all day looking up at the sky, yeah, not our beautifully forged ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> So these quirks are often the basis for the reason that 
your dwarf is out adventuring in the first place. So what are some character hooks for a dwarven PC? Why are you adventuring? One of my favorites is disgrace. You know, in such a rigid system where everybody knows their place, if one thing goes wrong five generations ago, you just spawned several hundred dwarven adventurers because right. they just don't have any other options. Right. I think that's great for lower level PCs as well because that gives you a reason to leave without necessarily a whole lot of gear or mm-hmm. power level. Right. And a great hook for a GM to like give you something to strive for, right? Some right. way to redeem your family name. Yeah. I think for mid-level adventuring, I like when it's been negotiated. Somebody petitioned the dwarves for aid and you have been dispatched to provide that aid. And then when that's done, you then have to face that competing duty, right? The competing mm-hmm. loyalties of the people that you've been through potentially literal hell with, right? You, you could have <laughs> literally been to battle fiends on, a, uh-huh. on fiendish planes. You could be in the nine hells or your clan and dwarven society that sent you on that journey. Yeah, that's a really nice tension. You know, just be prepared for the player to decide no they'd actually they would go back to dwarven lands and that's fine yeah Yeah. i mean Mm -hmm. it's okay to if that's a character's arc that's perfect right and you've got a great built-in npc right and a great thing to call back to later when you need more help right (laughs) Right? (laughs) you now have an in with the dwarves we went to hell together right (laughs) i also really love the lost clan trope there are horrible things deep beneath the ground right that's where durin's bane was found and you know maybe one dwarf escapes i think what we're touching on here is that there's a lot of pain in being a dwarf Mm -hmm. right there's a there's a lot of loss involved with being a loyal member or or even failing to be a loyal member of dwarven culture right Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a lot of tragedy in a dwarf's backstory dwarves are probably less likely to adventure for the spirit of high adventure right right (laughs) but very practical in terms of making ends meet if they're cast out because they come as we talked about with all of these skills right and then there's also we touched on earlier the emissaries of moradin Mm -hmm. there are divine reasons that a dwarf might follow a path along the surface possibly for years or for an entire lifetime without ever returning to a clan Mm -hmm. moradin might recognize that other good deities need the aid of the dwarves and dispatch clerics or paladins to, to provide that or I mean even other classes as well but that's mm-hmm. going to be kind of a firmer character tie for a for a divine character yeah it's important to remember that Morden doesn't typically proselytize because he's just the god of the dwarves right you're not you're not converting people to worship Morden yeah. but you're serving Morden's will mm-hmm. in helping other people right. right he's kind of a team player that Morden yeah <laughs> He's like dwarves first, but I like everyone. Yeah, and he's he's the friendly rival type. Right, right? exactly. You know, it's like, he might he might dispatch the dwarves just to prove to Bahamut. <laughs> right. well, obviously, you need the dwarves. Right. You obviously can't do this without the dwarves. Right. So, you know what? You know, try it. Call <laughs> right. me. Just just call me when you need me. I'll be, we'll be ready. <laughs> We're always ready. <laughs> so, from an out of character perspective, if you're building a dwarven PC, what are some good things to consider? What are the traditional classes? The fighter, the cleric, and the barbarian are the three that stand out for me. The dwarven fighter is as... It goes back to chainmail. Mm-hmm. The cleric, the the devotee of Moradin, mm-hmm. right? And you can take that in a couple different ways from a domain perspective. I think war cleric obviously fits well. Knowledge cleric could work potentially. Mm-hmm. Even life because, you know, dwarves need healers. Right. And then the barbarian is sort of a little niche. 
amongst the dwarves, but the battle rager is, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea of the axe-wielding berserker who mows down hordes of goblins in the tunnels, right? <laughs> kind of loses himself in his battle focus almost mm-hmm. is core, I think, to the dwarves. Yeah, it's extremely iconic. There aren't a lot of battle ragers, but that's because a lot of them tend to fall in battle. Yeah, and I, I love in the Sorcos Adventures guide, it says that the dwarven term for the battle rager is axe idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of 20th level axe idiots running around, I'm guessing. <laughs> I like in Warhammer Fantasy, there is a berserker path that can only be followed by dwarves and each class sort of like ranks up in the terms of the things you're supposed to kill, right? Like you're a troll killer, right? right. Giant, giant killer, troll killer. I think at the end it's like demon, demon killer, demon hunter, something like that. The only thing after that is glorious death. (laughs) That's the way that you exit that class. Right, right. (laughs) But the Dwarven wizard is also really iconic. And this stems from 3.5 when dwarves had, you know, extra con and wizards, all they needed was intelligence and constitution and the charisma hit didn't, hurt at all right and wizards had 1d4 hit points right so a bonus to con meant you were more likely to survive (laughs) to get to second and third level so dwarven wizards became slightly common exactly (laughs) and of course the clans the society needs those wizards to enchant those magic items that their smiths are making right and that's exactly how i would look at a wizard Mm -hmm. right is you you're really an enchanter if there's runic magic right that would be a natural fit Mm -hmm. but your focus is sort of empowering combat and empowering your allies through combat right in eberron for example the quintessential artificers are humans who have the mark of making but the more holds that there are many many dwarven artificers who are excellent at their craft yeah and then one thing I'll, i'll throw out one class i'll throw out that really doesn't fit with normal dwarven tropes but i think is very interesting from an rp perspective and also works really well from a mechanical perspective is druid yeah they don't get touched on in dwarven society Mm -hmm. like basically at all in any fiction that i can think of but a druid does kind of make sense for dwarves if you think of burrowing animals if you Mm -hmm. think of using them as scouts right for stealth and and that sort of thing they make a lot of sense for dwarves to use them in their sort of wars in the underdark and, mm-hmm. and all of that yeah and druids get all those sort of earth-based spells where you move through the earth you move the earth the hill dwarf gets the wisdom bonus mm-hmm. along with khan so that's a natural fit i think it would be very interesting if a character explored that right i think there's open space for characters to really grow into that area. yeah i think you get a lot of weird looks from other dwarves but the clerics of moradin aren't going to purge you right yeah you wouldn't necessarily be an outcast you'd be pretty unique yeah though Especially, you know, maybe if you were in a minor clan or something and that was sort of their innovation, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or, or maybe the, your clan's position is to, like, hold the mouth of the, the cave, like the entrance. Right. You know, and so sometimes you, you do live outside or there's even a small settlement under the stars. Yeah, yeah. So how about skills? You get your non-weapon proficiency, or sorry, your, you get your tool proficiencies from your mm-hmm. background, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you might take as an armorer or a blacksmith right you would you would sort of develop that but what about the actual defined skills in 5e well unfortunately there's no constitution based skill in 5e anymore there's no endurance which dwarves used to be really great at yeah and there's only the one strength skill athletics which is a little weird for dwarves yeah you know i I mean you think of the you know throwing right sort Mm -hmm. of an athletic activity and feats of strength make sense for dwarves and, and in that regard but in a lot of ways the running 
jumping, mm-hmm. all those things are sort of unnatural for a dwarf. So that's a weird fit, but probably one that you want to take just from you've got high strength anyway. Right, right or you know, grappling. Right, or, or you have a very limited selection of skills right. because you're a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's really just based on what is your niche in the party? Yeah, I think a knowledge skill makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. for dwarves. Even if they're not int-based or, or even if they don't have high int. Right, or any of the perception investigation those kind of skills the vigilance and and noticing minute details like that attention to detail i think is very dwarven Mm -hmm. right in general if you're going to take a charisma based skill there's a reason for it and so think about why that is yeah yeah except maybe like performance oh performance could work i could see like a dedicated dwarf being very good at a very dwarven instrument right yeah (laughs) but again no charisma not a showman yeah (laughs) just just to just a player technically perfect right (laughs) (laughs) the best kind of perfect yeah so let's talk about magic because if you go into the fifth edition dungeon master's guide there's a decent number of items in there that are sort of tied to dwarves right either they fit very well with dwarven culture or they are actually canonical parts of dwarven culture Mm -hmm. right and in game if you want to go get very good magic items chances are you're going to head for the dwarves yeah most items made of metal in the dmg you should imagine dwarves can make them right right except maybe the stupid swords Uh, (laughs) they're so thin what's the point why bother yeah (laughs) you can can barely even cut wood with a sword (laughs) so there's the adamantine armor which eliminates critical hits there's also animated shield. I think dwarves are pretty well known for their sort of axe and board kind of fighting style. Mm-hmm. But as you kind of move on to two-handed weapons, right, an animated shield makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, I could see like a giant dwarf, like five and a half feet tall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a huge maul. <laughs> and, and a tower shield that's, that's right. like three feet taller than him. <laughs> right. S- slowly like rotating around. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> There's the belt of dwarven kind, which doesn't really help dwarves, but that's probably where you'll get it from. Right, right. It's a little weird that they would bother to do that, but I like to imagine that there's a dwarf who fell in love with someone from another race, <laughs> right? And and so he or she convinced his or her true love that just put on this belt. This is the only way we can be together. We could be together forever. Right. <laughs> I like to think of it as it's altruistic dwarves are saying, you know, Everyone deserves to be a dwarf. To be a dwarf. <laughs> so, so the belt of dwarven kind gives you a con bonus, but I think, and, and it gives you some of the racial benefits of being a dwarf. But the most fun part of it is, every morning you have a fifty percent chance to wake up with a beard, <laughs> even if you're not able to grow one. <laughs> and of course, you know, let's make it a hundred percent. Just don't shave it. Just don't shave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Same beard I had yesterday. <laughs> then there's the belt of giant strength, which we touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. There's multiple belts of giant strength. From a mechanical perspective, probably in terms of rarity, the ones that give you 25 strength are probably the way to go. Yeah, so that's uh, very rare right. to find. I think it, fire and cloud. Cloud, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> this is a great quest item for a dwarf who, in order to gather all these things, you probably need parts of giants. Right, right. right. So... Let's go kill those giants to get strong enough to kill more giants. Exactly. Yeah. No, I love that. As a DM, you should totally play into that, right? If you want to integrate giants into your campaign, mm-hmm. let that be a reward for the work that they're doing against the giants, right? 
he goes to the trouble of hauling a giant back down, right? <laughs> he carries that giant or drags the giant out of honor, right? right. <laughs> For a hundred miles back to his caves <laughs> to have his, his essence extracted and forged into a belt of giant strength. I love the idea of, you know, she's so focused on this this end goal. So she goes out and kills an ogre. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now I have columns of ogre power. Great. Now I have strength 19. I use that to go out and kill a hill giant. Right. I get that belt. And then Strength I use, 21. That's right. I go out and I use that to kill the cloud giant. Right. <laughs> on and on and on. Then there's the berserker axe, which is actually a terrible item. It's a cursed item. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like the kind of thing you could tie to dwarves as maybe a fallen battle rager. Something like that, where he kind of left a bit of himself in the axe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of tie it as a story element, maybe. Yeah, I think it'd be more useful for a non-dwarven, non-berserker character who like picks it up and now is, has to deal with this this uh, spirit. Right, right. A uh, great thing to to do to a, an NPC. Yeah. Right. Where mm-hmm. you make that the challenge of the players have to subdue him and try and break the curse. Right. Then, you know, rings of protection, but really any type of jewelry is really mm-hmm. core to dwarves, right? They, they love their shinies. <laughs> and the ring of protection, like, it does everything a dwarf would want. Right, right. It's easier to resist magic and, like, harder to hit. Right. And they would certainly prefer that to a cloak. Yeah, definitely. There's dwarven plate, so named because the dwarves make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really excellent. It's plate armor. With a plus two, I guess they don't call it an enhancement bonus anymore, plus two bonus to AC. And you can use a reaction to prevent yourself from being moved too far if you're forced against your will. Yeah, if you're forced to move, you can spend your reaction and reduce the amount by 10 feet, which, you know, stand your ground, dwarf. That's right. (laughs) The Horn of Valhalla, which calls a few berserkers. It's not great, but I could see it being on the mantle for several generations until it's really needed. Yeah, and that fits into a Viking culture, Mm -hmm. naturally, but dwarves have a little bit of that in them, right? Yeah. We've already mentioned Gauntlets of Ogre Power, right? Sort of fitting the same kind of theme around the Belts of Giant Strength. Mm-hmm. The Dwarven Thrower, one of my favorite hammers in the book. I would say it's definitely an excellent end game item for almost any dwarf. Yeah. So it's a Warhammer that you can throw that also deals an extra D8 damage. And 2D8 to Giants. That's right. <laughs> and it's got plus three to attack and damage so just baseline it's great right and right. you can still use a shield with it yep and then there's sort of the grandpappy <laughs> of dwarven hammers <laughs> the, dwarven hammer 1.0 right the hammer of thunderbolts which is a maul mm-hmm. so a little bit more difficult to use it's legendary of course right it's a maul that has the ability uh, charges that allow you to throw it <laughs> And then it has a chance of stunning uh, creatures in an area effect as it lets out a thunderous roar, right, as it hits, like a a (laughs) thunderclap. Which is more cool than it is useful. Oh, definitely. However, it's got some great synergy with other items. Right, because it requires you to be wearing a belt of giant strength and gauntlets of ogre power. Now, fortunately, you don't actually have to be attuned to them because Mm -hmm. that would be... All your slots. Hideously redundant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it does allow you to increase your strength up to 30. It gives you a plus two strength, and it caps it at 30. Right. So if you put on you know, a belt that is relatively easy to get, say 25, then you can increase you to 29. You could get one of the higher level belts, but those are difficult because this is already legendary. Yep. Yeah. 
But yes, you're going to be the strongest, the strongest of all the dwarves. And at that point, I, I almost feel like you should just let them use it one-handed. You know? <laughs> right? like, it's 30 strength. <laughs> let me have a shield. Nope. Too unwieldy. Right. Come on. <laughs> and then for armor, right? Uh, any of the metal armors really make a lot of sense. Even things like elven chain, you know? Who's going to make that, really? <laughs> who's going to forge all that chain? <laughs> But the mithril armor, of course, dwarves being known for mining mithril. The spell guard shield makes a lot of sense as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's one artifact in the DMG that is, well, quintessentially dwarven. Crazy powerful, too. Yeah. I mean, as all artifacts are. The axe of the dwarvish lords. It's a battle axe. So one-handed, you can still use a shield. Plus three to attack and damage. And it functions as a belt of dwarven kind, a dwarven thrower, and a sword of sharpness, which does extra damage on crits. Yeah, so that's gonna, I mean, you're gonna be strong. Right. <laughs> you're gonna be strong. It also gives, you know, a few minor beneficial properties and a major beneficial property, which are things sort of along the lines of plus two to a stat. Yeah, you can cast a seventh level spell right. once per day and then have a one in six chance of casting it again if you want to. <laughs> They're really impressive. So usually your GM is just going to pick which one you get. Right. Although right. they could roll them randomly. You also kind of overexpress your dwarven traits. So <laughs> instead of resistance to poison, you have immunity. Which means you can't get drunk, kind of like Captain America. That would be awful. It would be terribly yeah. awful. It increases the range of your dark vision, gives you proficiency in artisan's tools for blacksmithing, brewing, and stonemasonry. Well, what good is brewing? I gotta be honest. That should be expertise. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It also lets you cast Conjure Earth Elemental, which is interesting and fitting for a dwarf. Mm-hmm. And then the cool one is if you touch your axe to a piece of dwarven stonework, you can cast Teleport once every three days. But still. But still. It's not a very dwarven way to travel, so it's kind of. It's, it's exactly kind of the cool. way that a dwarf would get out of the dwarven lands, though, right? If you think about it, it's like... It's the right. only way out. Yeah. Oh, I actually kind of love that. The only way in or out is an axe of the dwarvish lords. That's probably where, like, the heads of the clans meet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like some place that's sealed off to all outsiders. Right, exactly. Uh, if you if you want to kind of expand this as more than a unique artifact, right? Maybe it's like, a, you know, an, an ancient series of artifacts. Mm. give one to the heads of each clan or each of the you know right. major and clans they probably don't have the full abilities but one of the abilities right. is teleport right. right it also has a curse that applies <laughs> to non-dwarves who wield it and then it can be destroyed by putting it in the primordial forge of dwarves the earth heart forge for 50 years <laughs> so basically mount doom yeah yeah which i mean in a way, it tells you everything you need to know about dwarven culture in one artifact. <laughs> I mean, it really sums it up. <laughs> it can be destroyed. It takes forever. Right. <laughs> Did you hear that, Asian? Um, is that me claiming myself as the ruler of the ring and then Gimli just slapping me across the face and taking the ring and throwing it in the fire and saying, let's get on with it? Uh, no, it's just the sound of the character creation forge. Oh. But okay. before we get to the forge, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So for our 
dwarvy episode, we made you the dwarviest of dwarves. We already talked about the Battle Rager, which is very iconic. The other iconic position is the Dwarven Defender. So let's talk a little bit. What is the Dwarven Defender known for? Well, it was a prestige class in 3.5 that was very popular. It had what was called a defensive stance several times a day. Basically, he just planted your feet and said, I'm not moving. Right. (laughs) They had some good AC bonuses. They had excellent damage reduction. And they had a ridiculous number of hit points. The point of a Dwarven Defender is to be just the toughest thing around and to stand between danger and the dwarven people yeah he is the literal tank right right and and the idea is that if you stood five dwarven defenders shoulder to shoulder across the mouth of a cavern you shall not pass (laughs) it's very 300 but less oily right right yeah slightly more plate armor if you will (laughs) speaking of plate armor unfortunately we missed that in this build yeah, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, so we went with Battlemaster Fighter 17, Bear Totem Barbarian 3. Bear Totem Barbarian, but Dwarven Defenders are lawful. Ah, uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, the problem is it's the best way to get reliable damage reduction in mm-hmm. the form of damage resistance. Right, And it doesn't need to be a rage, right? It's yeah. just, I like that you activate rages a limited number of times a day. The defensive stance was the same way. It's kind of a preternatural focus. Exactly. Right. And then the bear totem also gets its trap sense ability. Mm-hmm, which the Dwarven Defender got in 3.5. Right, so you get advantage against dexterity saves for effects that you can see. Right. We will say, so the Barbarian gets Reckless Attack at level 2. Recommend mainly just not using it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not... If you're not worried about getting hit, right? If you're not defending an entire clan, okay. Yeah. You can go ahead and use it. It's it's a trick to have in your back pocket kind of thing, right? It's, it's situational, but yeah, I would agree. It's not the best use because the disadvantage on attacks against you is going to be harmful. Right. However, you end up with about 260 hit points at level 20. (laughs) That's true. And you've got the rage resistance. So you're probably fine if you get hit. Yeah. And the other nice thing about Reckless Attack is you level up, right? It it applies to all your attacks in the round. Mm -hmm. So when you get to level 11 in Fighter, you'll have three attacks. Mm -hmm. So all of them will have advantage. That's probably more than you're going to face in a round. Right, that's true. The And the Dwarven Defender isn't really focused on dealing out a lot of damage, but no. totally can if right. necessary. Because we've got 17 levels of fighter, which means there's two action surges per encounter. Right. So the build itself, we actually go Hill Dwarf and not Mountain Dwarf. Why is that? Hill Dwarf gets plus one wisdom, which isn't a natural fit, but it also has this durability, this Dwarven <laughs> toughness right. ability, plus one hit point per level. Seems small, you know, it's an extra 20 hit points over 20 levels. But then we're going to take the toughness feat, (laughs) which gives you an additional two hit points per level. And now you're talking 60 hit points at the end of your career, which is significant. So in terms of the selections that we're going to make, we're going to have six ability score increases as a fighter. So we're going to maximize con. And then we're going to start taking some feats. We've already talked about toughness. Tough, I guess it's called. Fair enough. So, you're right. I was wrong about tough, which means we're actually about 280 hit points. Oh. <laughs> Math. Right. Probably also going to take sentinel, because you want to, when you take opportunity attacks, you want to be able to stop movement of creatures. Because the problem with being a dwarven defender, if you're standing by yourself, things just go around you. Right. Right. And, you know, you're not particularly fast. Right. It's hard to chase them down. Right. So, if they try to run past you, you just stop them. Exactly. 
and then as a battle master, you're going to want to take the more defensive oriented maneuvers. Mm-hmm. There's parry, parry, goading attack mm-hmm. to force creatures to right. attack. You've got you. the hit points in the AC. You really want attacks to be focused on you. Right. Uh, menacing attack might work as well later on. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of driving, you know, drive one creature away and then, you know, invite more to attack kind right. of thing. I also like lunging attack, which increases your reach by five feet for that one attack. Yeah. It's always handy if you just really need to get an attack a little further. Right. And then commander strike is sort of a, a shining element for you on account of it lets one of your other allies make an attack in your place. And you're not really an offensive character, right? Remember, you're there to soak damage. So giving your rogue a chance to sneak attack again is probably more valuable than the attack you were going to make. Right, or like let your paladin smite. Right. I like to think of Commander Strike as the Dwarven Defender's ranged attack. Yeah. (laughs) It's you over there. Until you have a Dwarven Thrower. That's right. (laughs) Which would be great on this build. Well, speaking of magic items, we don't usually build with magic items in mind but Mm -hmm. in this character's case because we're limited as a barbarian we can only use medium armor we're not gonna be able to maximize our ac using plate mail so we've looked at some magic items to kind of target that fit a dwarf i think because you can use a shield a good way to increase your ac relatively cheaply is just a plus three shield which is only very rare right you can also get armor with an enhancement bonus up to plus three though that's legendary so that's probably a bad investment right you may even just keep it plus two which is still very good yeah which you know that's a a bonus of five ac right so your max uh, medium armor ac is 14 plus two dex bonus is the maximum allowed so that would be 16 plus five you're at 21 that's respectable uh plus defense fighting style so 22 22 and then you've got parry so you can add your superiority die to your ac there are other ways to get more ac but honestly with resistance to all damage except psychic and so many hit points it's probably better to just focus in other areas yeah you can take a hit if you have to you don't have to be as dodgy (laughs) as possible right also did we talk about uh resilience wisdom uh no we didn't that's another feat Uh, another good feat to take because if you think about it if a fireball comes at you, just take it on the chin and, you know, you're a dwarf, grow your beard back. Right. But the thing you really need to be worried about is those charm effects or those mind control effects that tell you to, like, lay down arms or take them up against your allies. Right. Which is why also I really like the mantle of spell resistance as a magic item. It gives you advantage on saving those against spells. Yeah, but it's so clothy. I just... I, yeah, well, maybe know. it can be a hauberk of spell resistance. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or quaff. Right. <laughs> And then naturally, as a dwarf, it's a great plan to go for the Gauntlets of Ogre Power and then the Belts of Giant Strength. And go kill them yourself. I mean, earn those, right? Right. And then if you're going to go that far, then you may as well get the Hammer of Thunderbolts. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then an animated shield, because you're dealing with them all. Right. You're a dwarf. Talk to your shield. That's a good idea. He's Mm -hmm. probably the only one who understands it. You're familiar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You spent a lot of time staring at his back. (laughs) All right. If you want to support the show... The easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out and leave us a review, we'll read it on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about urban adventures. And in the character creation forge? We're building the shaman. Well, that's it for episode 35 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name 
But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.